merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli Respected brothers, sisters, viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer, where we are trying to extrapolate, extricate, learn from the teachings of our religion by going directly to the original sources of this religion, the Holy Quran and the traditions of Ahlul Bayt And we have been discussing the of knowledge and reason in Islam. So because we're starting a new heading today within the general theme of knowledge and reason, a one minute recap very quickly. We said initially that our religion gives not only an importance to knowledge and reason, it considers them necessary to have a complete faith. And that at the same time, the alternative, which our religion refers to as jahl, and which we can translate as both ignorance and foolishness, jahl is not an option or is not an alternative in our religion. The manner in which it is described means that it's not like we have a choice whether to follow knowledge and reason or remain indifferent. The middle ground between knowledge and reason and ignorance does not exist. Either you are following knowledge and reason or by default you are following jahl or jahala. And because this is completely rejected in our religion, then we have no choice but to follow knowledge and reason. So therefore, we ask ourselves, so where do we start and what do we do? And we saw that in our religion, before we even go further, we saw that whatever this thing is that we're going to refer to as knowledge and reason, whatever it's going to be, it must meet two conditions. So we covered the two conditions before going any further. And those conditions are sincerity and action. We said that in our religion, the acquisition of knowledge has to be done with the right intent, and the use of that knowledge has to be with the right intent. That's first. And secondly, that it must be what we called transformational knowledge. <clears throat> if it is transformational, this knowledge, when it reaches our soul, it affects us, it changes us, and so this starts to show in our behavior, in our attitude, in how we carry ourselves, and this brought us to the discussion around action. Now that we covered those two conditions, we said, therefore, we must try to start seeking knowledge. And so we went through the teachings of our religion about seeking knowledge and the seeker of knowledge, المتعلم, the person who is trying to acquire knowledge, the learner. Once we were done with that, then now the moment we start to seek knowledge, it means that we are ga gaining some portion of it, which makes us a alim. By default, you are a alim, you are a carrier of knowledge, of that knowledge that you now carry. So 
None of us can ever be an absolute carrier of knowledge, a carrier of all knowledge that does not exist. To the extent that you carry some knowledge, you are a scholar, as we refer to it in English. Otherwise, it's alim, the person who carries knowledge. And so we went through what it means to be someone who carries knowledge in our religion. And inshallah, all of that is clear. And we said now, therefore, that we understand the place, the rank, the merit, the responsibilities of the learner, as well as the teacher or the scholar. Where do we go from here? And we said there's perhaps one more discussion we should be having. And unfortunately, this is once again not a topic that I have ever seen addressed in this way. It's missing. So it's novel in the way that we are presenting it. And this is that the learner or the teacher and the scholar, they do not exist in a vacuum. They don't exist in a void. They exist in a social context. And what we want to propose based on Islamic teachings is the notion of a community which by itself exists in our religion and in fact is a very strong one, but a community of knowledge. So that the relationship in our religion when it comes to knowledge is not limited to just one person who is seeking and acquiring knowledge and one person who is providing that knowledge and it stops there. Our religion has a lot more to say around the general social environment in which all of this is happening which brings us to the discussion around a community of knowledge beyond the learner and beyond the teacher or the scholar in religion. So inshallah, allow me to, I don't know how long it'll take, I'll provide a quick plan overview of what we plan to cover in the next few lectures around this topic of the community of knowledge in our religion. And by providing the plan, inshallah, we know where we're headed and things make sense so that we don't have to repeat the general plan and we know how everything connects together. We want to start from the idea that our religion, Islam, is a religion that we think is distinctive in that it provides a perfect harmony for all the dimensions and all the needs of the human being. This is a first premise, which means that, and inshallah we will have much more extensive discussions about this later, first we have the individual. With all of the needs and all of the faculties and all of the dimensions and aspects of the individual, we all have a physical dimension, we all have a psychological, emotional, affective dimension, we all have a social dimension, we all have a, an intellectual, rational dimension, we all have a spiritual dimension. And we believe that our religion covers the needs of each one of these dimensions, each one of these faculties. Each one of them has its own thirst and hunger. And they are in fact usually competing with each other for your attention, for the energy you give them for how you feed each one of them. And we believe that our religion does the best job at matching or meeting or fulfilling the needs of each one of these dimensions in a way that is perfectly harmonious, that does not cause any issues, that does not cause 
any problems from any of them if all of them are being fulfilled in a harmonious way. That's the first level. The second level related to this, still at the level of the individual, is that the needs that we have described, they have an aspect, they have a dimension that is related to this life and to this world. And they have a dimension that is related to the afterlife, to the hereafter, to what awaits us after death. And we believe also that our religion is able not only to teach us how to meet the needs of each one of these faculties, but to meet it in a way that is perfectly harmonious between the needs of this world and the needs of the afterlife. Okay, These are things that we have covered here and there, but we want to bring them together as very clear premises for what we are going to say next. That's at the individual level. But we also know that in our religion, the collective aspect, the aspect of living together, the social dimension of human beings has also been given a very big importance. So that our religion is not just focused on you as an individual. No, it tells you that there is also a reality that is collective. That you as a group, all of you taken together as one, one unit, one entity, one group of people, which we refer to as, for instance, a community or a society. And here the teachings are going to be perhaps different than what we would find when we look only at the individual level. And in fact, this ability in our religion to harmoniously meet the needs of both those entities, these realities, the individual as well as the social or the collective, we consider to be, if I don't want to say, if I don't want to say that it's miraculous, I will at least say that it is very distinctive. That our religion was able to recognize all of these dimensions and to fulfill them in a harmonious way. That it brings us, it brings our attention to each one of these and it tells us how each of them is being met. So that the rights and the needs of the individual, whether for this life, for instance, they're not trumping your rights and your needs for the afterlife. And your needs for the life of this world and the next are not trumping, are not contradicting, are not hurting the needs of the collective. And the needs of the collective are not hurting the needs of the individual, whether it is for this life or the next. Okay? So inshallah, all of this... Uh, it's clear as premises, otherwise all of this would require much more extensive discussions and the proofs that go with it and the references from the Holy Quran and the traditions that uh, back up everything that we are saying. So here our religion tells us that we do exist as a group, not only as an individual. And it tells us, therefore, you must act in certain situations for certain things, you must act as one group. You must act as one collective, as one unit. So how are we to act as a unit? There's a whole discussion, a whole dimension in our religion related to this, the social collective dimension. And this starts in a lot of ways from the individual. It's not like both of these are completely detached from each other. Our religion will tell us, for instance, yes, you have to carry yourself in a certain way as an individual. But even as an individual, you do have relationships with others. 
those relationships are in fact going to feed into the discussion about the collective eventually. Those start with you and every other person you deal with. How are you supposed to be with the friend? How are you supposed to be with the other, as we say now, nowadays? How are you supposed to be with your family members? How are each member of the family supposed to be with the others? How are you supposed to be with your neighbor? How are you supposed to be with other people in society? The big, the small, the young, the old. How are you supposed to be with them? And how are you supposed to be if they are of the same faith and ideology as you are? And how are you supposed to be if they are not? We have very clear and abundant discussions about all of this. And all of this will then feed into, and this will form your collective. This will form the society, the ummah that you are supposed to be. Okay? So inshallah we'll talk a lot more at length about all of this, which will bring us therefore to Islam having... It proposes an economic system. It proposes social systems. It proposes uh, legal systems and so on and so forth. Because all of these impact the way you live together as a whole, as a society, and not just you as an individual within a greater whole. When we go through the verses of the Holy Quran, the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, we see that this becomes very clear in the afterlife. They bring our attention to this from the path of the afterlife. They tell us in the afterlife, yes, there will be a resurrection where you are coming to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will stand for judgment before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as an individual. But they also tell us that you will stand for judgment before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a group. And in fact, you will be a member of different groups each one of them has to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as that entity. And this is not the time to go through all of the explanations of this. But this is all very clear in the teachings of Ahlul Bayt And today we're going to get into some of that. Which means that we have to be aware, one, that this is the case, and two, how to act within this. If I'm not only going to be judged as an individual, if my religion is telling me, you are going to be judged as a member of a group, therefore the entire group is being judged, I have to be aware of this and I have to know, so how am I to act within this group? So that as a whole, this group ends up being successful, ends up being rewarded and not punished when the time comes in the afterlife for that type of judgment. One verse in the Holy Quran I'm looking at whether we go into this or I finish the, the summary, but let's go into this right now and then I'll finish the summary a little bit later. One of the verses in the Holy Quran, it's a great verse that summarizes a lot of this harmony in the teachings of our religion that touches and covers both the needs of the individual for this life and the next, as well as the collective in this life and the next, is a verse in Surah Al-Qasas. This is part of the story of Qarun with Musa alayhi salam one day inshallah we'll go in, in more detail and talk about it what happened to Qarun who was he the Holy Quran mentions him by name the Holy Quran does not mention a lot of people by name he is one of the people mentioned by name inna Qarun kana min qawmi Musa right and so in verse 77 in surah al-Qasas uh, chapter 28 the Holy Quran starts to uh, after the story has started it tells us this line 
This is part of the advice that people are trying to give to Qarun before it's too late. But this is in fact advice for all of us. And it summarizes a lot of the teachings, if not all of the teachings of our religion when it comes to this point. The verse says, وَابْتَغِي فِي مَا آتَاكَ اللَّهُ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةِ وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَأَحْسِنْ كَمَا أَحْسَنَ اللَّهُ إِلَيْكِ وَلَا تَبْغِ الْفَسَادَ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُفْسِدِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 77, Seek the rewards of the hereafter by the means of what God has given you. So that's the first instruction. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you provisions and sustenance and blessings. Seek the hereafter and its rewards with everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. But the Quran adds, and do not forget your portion of this world. You have a share, you have a portion of this world, don't forget it. Don't be neglectful of it. This is yours. Take it. Yet, do good as God has done good to you. And don't seek mischief. Don't seek corruption on earth. Surely God does not like those who cause corruption or who cause mischief. So first, the verse starts by making clear what the main purpose is. Even though there's a clear instruction in there about knowing that you do have a portion that you can take from this life because it is yours, your share of this life, your share of this world, it starts with the main purpose of your existence. So it starts by saying, your main purpose in this world is to achieve the rewards of the afterlife. Use what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you to achieve the rewards of the afterlife. That's it. Now I know what my main purpose is. That's first. Then it says, but not to the point of neglecting your share of this world, your share from this world, your portion from this world. Okay? And here, we can have a whole discussion around the fact that the Qur'an says, وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ There's a, a very subtle way that the Qur'an is using here. It's not saying, and don't forget this world. It doesn't go that far. And, you know, go ahead and follow this world. You can follow both. Follow the afterlife and do everything you need to so that you acquire the rewards of it. And don't forget about this world. No, no. It says, and don't forget about your share of this world. You have a portion of this world. And this, by the way, keep it in mind for much later discussions. And even if we never have those discussions, now you have the key. How much is too much? At what point do you think that our religion says this is a good amount? You be the judge of that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you the key here. He tells you you have a share of this world. How much do you need? How much do you need to live? That's your share. At some point, your wealth becomes, what you have in this world becomes so much that it's no longer yours. You're not, you don't really have any real use for it for yourself. Now this is building a lot more wealth than a human being really needs for their life. So the Quran, if you want to say, how much does the Quran say, run after this world and work for this world? If you're looking for it for yourself, the Quran is giving you the key here. If you're doing something else with it, that is up to you. The sky is the limit. If you're using everything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you to achieve the rewards of the afterlife, there's no limit. But if you want to be the one using it for yourself, you want to enjoy this life, this world, the Quran says you have a nasib. This is yours. How much do you need? 
How many cars do you need? How many houses do you need? After which you say, well, this is, you know, beyond my share. What's my share? What's good enough for me? There's a share. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You be the judge of that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you the key. We all know deep down what our share of the world can be. What is appropriate? How much of this world is appropriate for me to live my life? Okay, so the Quran says, don't be neglectful of that. Don't be forgetful of that. Work towards it. But the part that you're working towards is your share. Imam Ali alayhi salam, this is not the topic now. Imam Ali alayhi salam has a narration in which he says, whoever accumulates more wealth than they need or their share is in fact only being a treasurer for someone else. You're keeping it for someone else. All of this will be passed on to others. This is not really yours. And the, more, the most you can do in this world is just to keep it and to pass it on to others. Your life will be done and you will leave this world as everybody else leaves this world with absolutely nothing except your deeds. Right? So Imam Ali salam says, you're simply keeping it for others. By the way, there's another interpretation here for specifically this part of the verse, وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا Imam Ali salam in fact flips the interpretation. The majority of the interpreters, the commentators here, they say, and don't forget your portion, because this is what the wording of the verse seems to imply. Don't forget the portion of this world that is yours. Imam Ali salam says, every human being has been granted a portion of strength, of youth, of wealth in this world. Don't forget to use that in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he brings it back to the afterlife, even that part. Okay? In any case. And then the verse says, And God has been good to you, therefore do good. Just as God Almighty has been good to you, has been generous to you, then do good to others. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I have given you a lot. There are many ways in which you can use all of this to do good to others. And here the verse says, it doesn't once again, and you see this dichotomy in our religion very clear, it's always like that, but we miss it oftentimes. There's no middle ground. It's as though the verse is saying there is no middle ground. Either you are doing good with what has been given to you, or you're falling into, whether you know it or not, whether intentionally or not, you're falling into, Fasad, corruption, mischief. You either are aware of how it is being used and you are intentionally using it to do good, which is what has been described in the verse until now, or the verse says, And do not aim at, do not try to do mischief or corruption in the earth. It's as though, because the only other option was use what God has given you to seek the pleasures of the hereafter, the rewards of the hereafter, it looks like there's no middle ground. And that by itself, by the way, requires a good discussion later, inshallah. Okay? And then, and be good and generous. And here perhaps the generosity, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying be good or be generous, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us abilities and faculties and blessings that go way beyond ourselves, that others can truly benefit from. The easy, the simple example that may come to mind is, for instance, I have more money than I need for my day-to-day -day life, or to have a respectable life, or to have my portion of this world. 
so others may also enjoy. I be I become generous. I use it so that others can enjoy the wealth that I have. And in this way, I seek the rewards of the afterlife. That's an easy one. But we all have other faculties and other talents, other abilities. If you have a leadership ability, if you are excessively gifted intellectually, whatever your, your talent, your gift may be, if others can benefit from it, you should be spending it in that way. You should be using it in that way, not holding it back. You can be good in anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you. In any case. So, beyond this verse, we said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this religion, I am going to give you the teachings that you need as a person, as an individual, as well as a collective group in a way that is not going to be neglectful of any of the requirements of the needs of the individual for this life or the next, or the group for this life or the next. Then we have the ummah. We have the collective. Within the collective, we have many, many instances in our religion which tells us that Yes, you are going to be judged. Yes, you do exist as one entity in this world and the next as one big ummah. One group of people who say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Yes, there is that group of people. It spans over time and space. Since the time the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa called to this religion until the end of times, all of those people are part of one ummah. Okay? Within that, however, we have many, many references to specific groups of people. Many instances. Too many to list now. That would require a very interesting study of its own to see who are the groups and when we say group, this is not something you know virtual that we're creating by ourselves. There are references to these. That these are people that have something common that makes them all similar in a certain way. And so, of course, each one of us can belong to many, many of these communities. And these, in fact, become communities within the community. And this is what we're trying to get at. We want to get at one of these communities, which is a community of knowledge. Why? Because the greater community by itself, as we just described it, is in fact nothing but the minimum that can be achieved. All you need to achieve the greater community and to be part of the greater community is to recognize the divinity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his oneness and that the Holy Prophet is his prophet and messenger. And that's it. You now belong to that community. But this is the strict minimum and the ranks and the levels beyond that are infinite each one of us and our ability and our passion and our desire and our motivation to achieve higher levels and the higher levels are infinite and that's why we should be seeking we should be looking for and researching and thinking about these other communities which community do i do i want to belong to which community do, do I want to be part of in the afterlife? I'll be honest, when I look at the community of the Holy Prophet as a whole, it's not always the most encouraging. To say I'm only belonging to that community, as great of an honor as it is by itself, 
We wouldn't say that this is, you know, the greatest simply by virtue of saying the Shahada. There has to be more. And this is where I'm going to look for a lot more. And even in our discussions until now, we've covered a lot of these communities. We talked, for instance, about, for instance, and this is especially the case if you go to the holy month of Ramadan, for instance. There is a reference to those who have truly fasted. That's a different community. Those are a community. Those who understand the true spirit and meaning of the fast. I'd love to belong to that community. Those who have truly performed the pilgrimage. Those who truly understand, in fact, because these are, we're going to say, compulsory acts. Those who truly understand the merits of the month of Rajab. Aina Rajabiyun. We have gone through this narration before. There will be a caller from within the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of resurrection. Who are, where are the ones who honored the month of Rajab? The people of Rajab, the month of Rajab. This is not compulsory. This is simply recommended. There are so many recommended acts. This is such a holy time. And in our ruayat, the month of Shaban is greater than Rajab. And of course, the month of Ramadan is the greatest of them all. There are people who form a community around the fact that they have honored this month. We have gone in our, in our previous discussions, for, for instance, we saw how in the ahadith, those who seek knowledge are a specific community. The seekers of knowledge. Talibul ilm. We saw specific narrations addressing them, talking about them. Talking about their merits, their ranks, their characteristics, their responsibilities. The fuqaha and the ulama, they're a specific community. They don't come with the others, they come as a community. They are dealt with as a community. Those who carry the Qur'an. We had some narrations that talk about Hamalatul Qur'an. The Holy Prophet was talking to Salman in some of them, to Abu Dhar in some of them, and many, many others. Hamalatul Qur'an is a community. These are specific people. And these are people who were not happy just to be part of the strict minimum. They worked very hard to be part for that membership within that community. And if we go through the Holy Quran, and this is very, very quickly, we have references in the Holy Quran to those who are mukhbitin. Mukhbit is the person who complies out of humility, out of reverence. You comply with the teachings of Allah, the instructions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have the righteous or the virtuous, al-abrar. We have al-muqarrabin. We have ashab al-yameen, people of the right. You know, it's a symbol, the right. Or those who have been drawn near. We have the narrations that clearly and some references in the Quran to be of the patient. This is a station and a rank. Patience is a rank. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. Patience. Dhakirin. Those who have full remembrance. Qanitin. Those who are devout. So qanitin is not simply that you perform qanut. There's something else that you are doing that puts you in a category where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to you. Inna al-muslimina wal-muslimat wal-mu'minina wal-mu'minat those are a specific group. You're a trait. You're recognized by this. You're devout. Those who are khashi'in, 
khushu' those who are fearful and if you go through the 15 whispered uh, invocations of Imam Sajjad you will see 15 of these communities by the way those who are lovers those who are repenters those who are fearful and so on and so forth Okay, or the Holy Quran referring for instance to another group of people who are mukhlasin those who have been exclusively chosen and purified by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala these are specific communities so the idea in all of this is that there is an infinity of ranks representing different communities that we can belong to. Each one of them requires a specific act, a specific set of behaviors and attitudes and beliefs that will allow us to be part of that community. And you will belong to that community. And in the afterlife, in this world, you may not always see it clearly, but in the afterlife, all of this is clear. Because you are being resurrected and you are being judged and you are being honored or dishonored for belonging to specific communities. Our question is therefore, how do we belong, how do we create and how do we belong to a community of knowledge? And this we have to kind of create, we have to put together because it hasn't been referenced in this way. It hasn't been presented in this way. We have to put it together from a lot of what we have covered until now and a few other details and points inshallah to come. When we put them all together, we end up being able to inshallah answer these specific questions. What is a community of knowledge? And why is it important? Who belongs to a community of knowledge? How do the people who belong in a community of knowledge, how do they behave and what are their attitudes? And in one way, I don't want to keep going back and forth. I know you have it present in your mind. But one way to ask these questions is to ask, how are we doing all of this individually? In other words, how am I behaving as an individual? Individually, how am I behaving as part of a community of knowledge? And the other question is, how is this community behaving as a whole, as a one? as a one entity, as one unit, how are they behaving? What is their general attitude? What are their characteristics? What are the benefits of having a community of knowledge? And there are a couple of perhaps points. There's a lot we can add here, but I'm going to skip all of that, inshallah, and ref reference only a couple of points related to what I'm going to refer to as infrastructure. So in very practical terms, how is this community set up? What, what does their structure look like? What, is, what does their infrastructure look like? So that they can actually operate and exist as an entity in this world. So inshallah, this was the quick introduction to this new heading that we want to cover. But because a lot of what we have covered until now, from the beginning of the series until now, actually touches and answers a lot of these questions. I'm not going to be going in detail to answer these questions. We're going to go, inshallah, fast enough to answer these questions. I'm not planning to cover this topic with more than a few uh, lectures, inshallah. So we said the first point, now we can start delving into the topic. See, the introduction was only half of the lecture, so that's good. So we said that there is a collective dimension that is as important 
as the individual dimension in our religion. So now we go back to, now we covered the plan that we're going to be going over. So let's go to point one. That our religion covers the human being not, not only as an individual, but as a part of a greater whole, a greater entity that we can call an ummah, that we can call a group, that we can call a community. If we want to talk about a knowledge community, that community cannot be completely dissociated from the other aspects of social life. And so if we wanted to really have an extensive discussion on the community of knowledge, we would have to link it to the legal system and the political system and the economic system and so on and so forth, which we will not be doing here. Inshallah, later in the series, the next themes in the series will be, there will be a theme on the economic system, the social system, and so on and so forth in our religion. And inshallah, there we will allude back to this discussion and we will go deeper and this will become clearer inshallah. This is simply to highlight the point that within the greater community in Islam and the collective life in Islam, there can be something that we can refer to as a knowledge community. Okay. Given the time that we have, I'm going to focus now to answer this or to present this notion of the community and the collective whole in which human beings can live. I'm going to focus on verses of the Holy Quran. And then, inshallah, in the next lecture, we'll go back to the ahadith. Just to establish this principle Quranically. There's a first verse, and I'm I'm really not going through all of the verses of the Holy Quran that talk about this. I'm picking two, three verses to cover as much of the points as possible. They are all very rich verses, and they can each definitely deserve at least one, if not more, lectures. Okay, we're going very quickly simply to establish the linkages with what we're trying to say. There's a verse in Surah Al-Imran, very famous, to chapter 3, verse 110. The verse says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrajat lil-nas, ta'muruna bil-ma'roof, watanhawna anil-munkar, watu'minuna billah, walaw amana ahlul kitabi lakana khayran lahum. The ending, I'm not gonna discuss. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrajat lil-nas, ta'muruna bil-ma'roof, watanhawna anil-munkar, watu'minuna billah. So you are the best of communities brought forth for mankind. You enjoin what is right. You forbid what is wrong. And you believe in God. And then the verse continues. So here there's a lot to cover. First, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Muslims, you are kuntum khayra ummatin. It's by the way in the past tense, to establish the certainty of something. The Holy Quran uses this construction in Arabic, this wording in Arabic. It talks, for instance, about Yom Al-Qiyamah as something that happened in the past, for instance. Why? Because in Arabic you use that to say it's something that will happen with such certainty that I can talk about it as though it already happened. Okay? Kuntum khayra ummatin. When in fact, this is either the present or the future. 
Okay, that's one. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Muslims. And here there are multiple interpretations. One of them can be, you are as a group, and that's the point that we're trying to make, as a group, as a community, you are the best, most suited for performing this role, for being the best. From all of the candidates, you are the ones who should be performing this because you are the most suited for it. That's one interpretation. To be the best brought out, brought forth for mankind. That's one. Another interpretation is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making a promise that you shall be. So we would say today, this is a prophecy. At the very early stages of Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is revealing to the Muslims that at the end, you are going to be the best of all people. You are the best that has come out from mankind and to mankind. And that's the key. Okay, that's two. A third interpretation, there are more, but I'm covering just the, the basics. Another interpretation is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, you must be, you must become the best of nations. And here there are a number of reasons that can be given. And one of them is not in the legal sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying you must be. It's more in the logical sense. You are the last of all nations. And the verses before and this verse and other verses after, they're basically saying this is the most complete, eternal, clear religion. Therefore, you must become, you must be the best of nations that has come out to human beings. That's the first part. This is all talking about you as a group, you as a nation. Secondly, and all of the discussions around this verse or the majority of the time and energy spent on this verse is usually about this point. It's not that you are just the best of nations. It's that you must meet certain conditions to be the best of nations. And three conditions to be clear. You are the best of nations brought forth to mankind when you have done three things. You enjoin good, you forbid evil, and you believe in God. If you do those three, you are now the best of all nations. And everybody should be recognizing this and becoming like you. This is a religion that has the ability to reform. It will give you everything you need. And you will be the best of all people. Brought forth to mankind. I'm going to come back to this point. Brought forth to mankind. If, big if, if you do those three things. It's not just by itself you are the best of You're not the best of people. You have to read the whole verse together. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. The other way to say it is, you are the best of people when you have done these three things. If you have done these three things, you enjoin good, you forbid evil, and you believe in God. Now you are the best of all people. Brought forth to mankind. And here there's a whole discussion around reform. In other words, this verse is talking about you have the responsibility and the duty to go and reform the world. And the only way to do that is through these specific ingredients. You have to have all three. You enjoin good, you spread good in the world, and you forbid evil. You prevent the wrongs from being done in this world. And you believe 
in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is in fact very interesting. One of the instances in the Quran, the Quran gives a lot of importance to order. The order in which things are mentioned is not random. Logically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would say, you believe in God and then you perform Amr bil ma'roof and nahi anil munkar. Because they derive out of it. And believing in God is more important. It's the condition for it. In this verse, it flipped it. It says, you are, you want to be the best of all people that have come out to the rest of the world? You must enjoin the good. That's the first condition. You must enjoin the good. Prevent and forbid the wrong and believe in God. It's as though believe in God is assumed. It's implied. Here the insistence is on something else because it's about going out there to the world, towards the world, acting in the world, reforming the world. And this is the last point about this verse. It says, "Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas." It's not about every community and every group by itself. No, no. You are being brought forth to the people. There's a job that you have to perform. There's a function. There's a role that you have to play. You are being brought out to the people. Ukhrijat linnas. You've been taken out towards the people. And this is very important. This tells us that we all have a duty to play. But that duty can only be played through this. Believe in God, belief in God, which is taken for granted, because the verse here is insisting on something else, and enjoining the good and forbidding the wrong. Okay? That's the first, that's the first verse. So here, the verse is basically saying the purpose of you to exist as an entity is to perform this role for mankind. You have been brought for mankind. That's the reason of your existence. You play that role to reform. And this is how you reform. Ensure that your faith is strong and then go and do good in the world and prevent the wrongs of this world. That's one verse. And here, we are being addressed not individually. That verse was very clear. It did not talk to you and I as individuals. It talked to us, it addressed us as one group. All of us together are one. So we can't say, you know, my only concern, my only preoccupation in this world is myself. That doesn't exist. It's not acceptable in our religion. There are things where you have to worry about yourself. If you have no place, if you have no power, if you have no ability to work with others, that's fine. But generally speaking, you are still aware that you belong to a greater community. And this verse was addressing that community, that group as a whole. Together, you are the best that has been brought out to mankind. You have to work together to do those things, to enjoin good, forbid wrong, and believe in God. Okay, that's one. The second verse. The second verse is in fact a chapter. It's a very, very small chapter. One of the smallest chapters in the Holy Quran. Perhaps one of the greatest chapters in the Holy Quran. Despite its very small size. Surah Al-Asr. Okay, chapter 103. The Holy Quran says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wal-Asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ 
وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر الله سبحانه وتعالى in this verse says and I'm gonna go back and forth in how I translated the traditional way we understand the verses it's as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by the late afternoon the declining day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying by the declining day truly the human being as a species the human being is in loss that's the second verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says I swear so wa is to swear wal asr Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says I swear by the late evening by the afternoon that the human being is in loss except those who believe and who do righteous deeds and who enjoin each other to truth and who enjoin each other to patience four ingredients four characteristics and this we're not going to go through the whole tafsir of this very short chapter it would require much lengthier discussions to see what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is getting at in these very few verses in three verses we have three chapters in the Quran that are made up of three verses this is one of them Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here he says the entirety of the human race the human species is basically headed towards loss it will not be successful it is losing out it's going to perish it's headed in the right direction the entirety of the human race of the human species there's only one group this is the group that we're interested in the community except one community illa inna al-insana if you are insan you are lafi khusr with insistence the lam it's not fi khusr lafi khusr it's certainly the human being is going to be inna is to insist and la is to insist twice the verse is saying certainly and surely the human being is in loss except who those who match four characteristics the first two we encounter all the time we can go through them easily very quickly but the last two are different not as characteristics but how it is worded in the quran there are four this is the program of our lives and that's why this verse or these verses this chapter surah al-asr is considered so great it has the entire program of our lives you want a whole program for your life here it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you four ingredients. You want to be of the group that is not in loss. What do you do? The Quran says four ingredients. Believe in God. And who do righteous deeds. Who have done or who will do or who do righteous deeds. So far so good. Pretty much every verse in the Quran and we talked about this one. We talked about action. Every verse in the Quran that talks about faith and belief and knowledge, faith and belief is accompanied with righteous action. Amanu wa amilu salihat. Amanu wa amilu salihat. Always. So these two were accustomed to them. Of course, we would expect them. What else? In order not to be in loss, the Quran adds two more ingredients here. 
It's not just that you believe in God, and it's not just that you do righteous deeds. There's a community. There's a collective dimension where you are doing something to each other constantly. You match those descriptions, you will not be in loss. What are they? They, those people, that community, they enjoin each other. They recommend to each other. They encourage each other. They urge each other towards the truth and patience. The Quran could have said, and who are patient and who are truthful, or who are interested in moving towards the truth. No. There's a collective social dimension. In order not to be in loss, yes, you believe in God, and yes, you do righteous deeds. But socially, part of a community, you tell others and others tell you, we have to move towards the truth. And you tell others and others tell you, we have to remain patient. This is what this chapter is telling us. And this is a communal or a collective or a social dimension. This is not covered simply by me sitting at home, you know, learning all the knowledge, performing my acts of worship, fasting and praying and going to pilgrimage. That's all good. But I'm not falling in the second, the third and the fourth categories. So I'm still not matching the criteria and the checklist of Surah Al-Asr. That will save me from being in loss. Lafi khusr. Okay? So if we take the, the surah from the beginning, the beginning of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, by wa al-asr, I swear by al-asr. The majority of us, because we're accustomed to using this term, this word in this way, we understand it as meaning the late afternoon. Right? Al-asr is just like when you pray salat al-asr, for instance. And there's a whole etymology behind the word, where it comes from. And then we have the commentators who have gone through it and we add to it the narrations and we add to it what the verses are talking about and then we get a few other meanings that don't come to mind right away. Al-Asr can be the passing of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by the passing of time. Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swear, let's take it one step at a time. Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swear by the late afternoon? What's so special about the late afternoon? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swear? And it happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does swear in the Holy Quran by other parts of the day. Wal-duha, wal-fajr, right? We have wal-layl. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does swear by parts of the day. These are His creation. And each one of them symbolizes and signifies things. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Falaq can mean multiple things. One of them is when that light breaks through the darkness, very, very early morning. That's the falaq. It's like it explodes. It splits open the darkness with the light, with the first rays of light. And it could mean a lot of other things, such as creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala splits nothingness with creation. That's falaq. So we have to go a little bit further when the Quran says in this verse, wal asr. 
If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about this specific part of the day, it may be an indication or bringing our attention to what happens at that point in the day, late afternoon. What happens in the late afternoon? This is a time where it's considered a transition. And the Quran usually swears by times of transition. Something is changing into something else, which by itself is a miracle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it thus, that it moves this way. The day could have been one thing, but it has these different parts with different things happening in them. Al-Asr is getting prepared, getting you prepared to move away from activity and towards rest where will come in the evening. And this can be a metaphor and a symbol for life and death and many other things. But beyond that, Al-Asr in Arabic could also mean the time, the passage of time, the passing of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by the time that He has created. That's one way to understand it. In general, the passage of time. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by a specific time. Wal-asr as in by this time. The time of the advent of Islam. Or the time at the end of times. Wal-asr by that time. Which you would have to go to the ruwayat to see. What is it talking about? Which asr? For instance, the time of the end of times. The time of Imam al-Mahdi, which we have in some narrations. Okay, So this is a specific epoch, a specific chapter in all of this time. Why? Because the next verses are talking about the human being as a whole. So there's a lot of meaning that emerges when you say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by the passage of time, the centuries, the millennia throughout which human beings survive. All of these people, the Qur'an is saying, who have lived throughout all of this, the human being is in loss. Unless they belong to this category. Unless they belong to this exception that matches this checklist of four items. Belief in God, doing righteous deeds, enjoining each other towards the truth, and enjoining each other towards patience. The truth basically says, it gives you direction. What's the purpose of your life? What gives direction to everything you do? Meaning to everything you do? It directs you. That's the truth. Patience. Everything else you have to endure. This world is full of difficulties and hardships and things that are not the truth. And you have to be able to endure them. Go through them. Without losing who you are, your identity, your faith, your values. Patience. So direct yourself towards, I tell you and you tell me. We direct ourselves towards the truth and we remain patient to deal with everything else. The loss, the loss in these verses, Why is the human being at a loss or in loss? In loss because the natural state of the human being is the moment you are born, you are headed towards something inevitable. If it's inevitable, it means you are in decline. Every breath, as Imam Ali salam says, every breath you take is a step towards your grave. That's it. So you have a capital, you have a life, you have an age, a prescribed age that you will live in this world. Another link to Asr. 
You have a time you have been allotted in this world and it's constantly in decline. And this is your only capital. And your only capital is declining until the end. Until you, you run out and then you leave this world. That's the natural state of the human being. And you leave this world with nothing. Unless you belong to this group. Then you leave this world with something and you are not in loss. That's the first easy interpretation when we want to say the human being is in loss. Why is the human being in loss? Because their only capital is being lost the moment they enter into this world. Okay, that's the first understanding. The second one is, if you are created for a purpose, if you have an objective you're supposed to achieve, and this is the only reason why you have been put into this world, to achieve that objective, and you leave this world without having achieved this objective, are you a winner or a loser? Are you successful or unsuccessful? Are you muflih and faiz, as the Quran say? Or are you khusran al-mubin? Right? A manifest, clear loss. Lack of success. We gave, we gave you an objective. We gave you a purpose. You did not achieve the purpose. If you're getting a performance review from your manager, he says you did not achieve the objective. Does not meet. Right? You are not successful. You don't meet. You don't get a passing grade. You are not able to show that you are able to achieve the, the purpose, the objective of your existence. So you are in loss. It's very clear. And perhaps there's always here, there's a whole recurrent theme. It's a metaphor in the Holy Quran. This whole idea that you are in a transaction in this world. It's like a market. And you are giving something in exchange for something else. So what are you giving in exchange for what? What are you receiving in return? What you are giving the imams, we have multiple narrations about this. They say what you are giving up at the end of this life, no matter what life looks like, at the end of this life, you are giving up your life, your soul. That's it. This is what you're giving. What do you want in return? If you want to give up your life to something, what would make that transaction of you a winner? That you won in this transaction. That you achieved something that you were supposed to achieve. So that at the end you say, you know, I didn't get tricked or duped. I didn't lose out in this transaction, in this deal. I'm the winner. I achieved something greater than what I gave. What I got is worth more. Or at least equivalent to what I gave up. What did I give up? I gave up my whole life. And it's not a choice. I know I'm giving it up. I know I'm headed towards death. I'm giving up this life. What do I want in return? The Quran says, if you don't want paradise, you're a loser. This is the only thing worthy the imams say. Make sure, the imams say, make sure what you're doing, what you're giving your life up for. It's price, the imam says, its price and value is heaven. Don't give it up for anything less, the imams say. Don't sell it or don't give it for anything less than heaven. That will make you a winner. That's the other way to look at it. Otherwise, the human being is in loss. It's a losing transaction. So again here, the idea was simply that it's not enough that you are good by yourself. 
you must belong to a community where you are encouraging and urging others and others are encouraging and urging you. The third one, I won't spend too much time on this. Couple of verses in Surah Al-Jathiyah, 45. This surah, this chapter of the Quran, chapter 45, it's called Surah Al-Jathiyah because of these verses that I'm going to go through. It's from 27 to 29, verses 27 to 29, Surah 45. It's called Al-Jathiyah because the Holy Quran uses this term, this distinctive term. Al-Juthu or Al-Jathi is what? It's to go on your knee. You're supplicating, you're beseeching, you're imploring, you fall on your knee and you ask. This is what this surah is called. Notice these verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, To God belong the heavens and the earth. We don't always do this. We go always because of shortness of time. We jump to the part of the verse that is important and we don't give the context. When you add a couple of verses before in a lot of cases, it gives you the context and it sets the tone. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, To God belongs the heavens and the earth. And the day when the hour is established, on that day, those who make false claims will have lost. And then, this is a part that is not said, I'm adding it. And on that day, the Quran continues, you will see every community upon its knees. Every community is on its knees. Every community will be called to its book. On this day, this is the answer, on this day, you will be recompensed, you will be rewarded for what you used to do. This is our book, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell them in the afterlife. This is our book speaking against you in truth. Truly, we were recording all that you used to do. Again, in, this, in these verses, the image that you get is not you and I. We have many of those in the Holy Quran. Again, in reference to the book, the Holy Quran says, every one of us is going to have اقرأ كتابك كفى بنفسك اليوم In that discussion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell every person, read your own book. You are going to be enough of a witness against yourself. Just read your own book. That's the individual judgment. In these verses, in Surah Al-Jathiyah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about a judgment that is collective. There is a book for me as an individual. And there is a book for us as a community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, He says this is the book now that is being taken out. He says every community on the day is going to fall to its knees. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgiveness. That's the reason why they are on their knees. They are afraid. And there are many, many narrations talking about this. Even the prophets will fall on their knees, the Quran says. There's, there are tongues, the Holy Prophet says, there will be tongues from hell that will come out and surround all of the creatures. And all the creatures will fall on their knees. But here the creatures are grouped, in this case, in these verses, they are grouped as communities. 
You're together with the rest of your community and you fall down to your knees. In that case, you're being dealt with as a community. You're not being dealt with as one person. They're not looking at you, what did you do specifically? It's what did you do as a community? As a community, how did you act? As a community, what was your position towards the truth? Those things that were mentioned in Surah Al-Asr, towards patience, towards the truth. Or here, the Holy Quran says, we are going to bring out, this is our book. It will speak against you. It's like you're standing in court and you have a witness who will come and testify against you. Allah here he says, this is our book. The book that is in which everything has been recorded. This is how what you used to do. We're going to give it back to you now. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here he says, on this day you will be recompensed for what you used to do. This is our book speaking against you in truth. Truly, we were recording all that you used to do. And so again, I don't want to dwell on these verses. This is simply to establish that in the Holy Quran, there is clearly a distinction made between the individual dimension and the collective dimension, the ummah. And the ummah may be small or may be big. I don't know if I should, inshallah, we'll continue next time we go through the verses and you will see this notion. We said, so therefore, now that we have established in the Holy Quran that there is something like a collective judgment inescapable for any of us, we are part of a community, is the community only Islam? Because sometimes this is how we understand it or how it's presented. You belong to the greater ummah. Yes, that's the greater ummah. But within that greater ummah, there are many smaller ummah. There are many smaller communities. Which one do you want to belong to? The Holy Quran gives us a couple of these examples. The Quran tells us there are communities within the community. So inshallah, we will establish that, that there are Quranically, there are communities within the community, and then we will head towards the community of knowledge. And inshallah, then we will move a lot faster. But these are points, inshallah, that we wanted to make. I think they're important since we are headed in a more social or collective uh, discussion. Inshallah, those are clear. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين